0: Broadcasting live. Weekday morning, this is listener-supported one radio network. Well, well, very pleasant. uh, Good morning to you. This is Patrick Tempone. And it's a beautiful morning here in Dripping Springs, Texas, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us. And the phone company is actually making progress. A little thing is showing ready. We still get a fast busy, but we're almost there to have the uh, 800 lines open again. It's been a long time, but just a lesson in patience. And it's good to have you here. So email this morning is the way to go. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Dr. Randy Rice Weissong, originally an animal guy, uh, you know, a veterinarian, and he's a cool guy. And he's really got some great articles and books on uh, thinking and reality and how we think and what we create and all of that. So we're having him back. He was on a few weeks ago. Really liked him. Uh, He's also a carnivore. Everybody's showing up a carnivore these days. And I was really surprised. I didn't even know you. I said, well, what do you eat? He said, oh, I'm a carnivore. Um, And then then on Wednesday, not sure what Dr. Thomas Cowan is eating, but I know that he's not eating one thing, as germs, because he doesn't believe in them. He's in uh, this new big presentation coming out real soon called uh, The End of COVID. And uh, it's about a, a two or three week marathon webinar videos that they've put together and all the top players in the idea that there is no virus or germs and um it's just been all made up and so they're going to make their case to you and it's all free of charge and i think it's beginning about um mid july so we'll be keeping an eye on that but anyway dr kyle will be here on wednesday so we're going to talk to him about how he's moving forward With what he calls the new biology, since there's no germs or viruses and bacteria, then what are we going to do? Why do we get sick? Why do we get sick? And I suspect we'll talk a little bit about that with today's guest, too. Dr. Anthony Chafee is here. He's a good guy. He's an MD, and he's a a resident in neurosurgery in his fourth year in Australia. He has a, a nice setup on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Twitter, all about being a carnivore, Doc, and he's pretty hardcore. I mean, he is—he's like one of the purest guys in the in the carnivore game. Doctor, Ch- body by beef. Okay, I I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you got a little beef on your body. You work out a lot, Doc. Oh, good morning.
1: Yeah. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, I well, I, I I used to work out a lot. I was a professional rugby player for a number of years, and oh. and working out and yeah, you know, throughout medical school and play, kept playing throughout medical school and after as well. So I kept in you know in uh, in shape as much as I could. But it's a lot easier on carnivore. I've never been able to put on muscle or keep it uh, like I have uh, on a carnivore diet, even though I'm. 43 now and uh, and I stay lean so this is actually this is actually my out of shape look this is me out of shape I haven't really worked out consistently for about a year now is that? Uh maybe every few weeks I'll do yeah yeah maybe a few, every few weeks every month or so I'll I'll get in to the gym but it's very very busy at the moment and so I don't always have that luxury of working out but at the same time because of the way I eat I, I never get out of shape I can get in a lot better shape I get much more big uh, much more muscular but um I uh, and I, I can I, I get a lot more muscular than this, but I never get out of shape, and that's been a, a very, very big bonus for eating this way
0: yeah I said good morning, it's actually uh, eleven o'clock at night Monday night yes yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. O'clock. pushing midnight yeah pushing midnight in, in Australia where you live and uh, just in general, how are things down there with um, freedom and censorship and wanting to jab you and all that stuff all the crazy stuff we see here how is it going down there
1: getting getting better um yeah so that that's all sort of calmed down now which is nice and so things are sort of back to normal you know uh, lockdowns have uh ceased i haven't we haven't really had those in, in the last three year and a half which has been great and uh certainly last year uh, it, it, different areas would have ended different times, but Perth, Perth has been okay for the last last year or so and a uh, year and a half, maybe at this point. And so that's been really good. You know, people are sort of getting back to normal, but obviously the you know, the, the bad taste is in everyone's mouth that you know they could just they could just do this again and um decide that there's another issue that takes precedence over people's freedoms and, uh, and try to lock people down again. And that's obviously a concern on everyone's mind.
0: And that kind of tweaked to something when you said bad taste in your mouth. Uh, I've seen, and I think you've said on a past show when we had John before, that um, if something doesn't taste good to us or taste good to a kid, you know, and they spit it mm. out, that's generally yeah. a, a, a clue that that food is not good for them? You think it's possibly that simple?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that you're, our our brain and our tongue are sophisticated machines. This is one of our five major senses, right? Why would we not be able to trust that? Why would you know? Why would we be designed to hate the taste of something that's good for us, right? Now, maybe we can like something that's not good for us. You know, there are outliers like sugar or something like that. Um, but sugar is a drug. Sugar is addictive. Sugar benefits the plant by having you be addicted to that and you move its seed. And things like that but um and we recognize that as safe and so we say okay well that's a quick hit of energy i can survive on this and get what i need out of it and then get on get on with my life but you're not going to live on sugar there's 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 nothing you know nutritionally valid about it you know from vitamin and mineral standpoint but it'll give you a quick hit, hit of energy and if you're starving that's going to confer a survival advantage but if something tastes bad that's a very good sign that there is something bad in it. Your brain and your tongue are recognizing harmful chemicals. And it is telling you from a visceral point of view, spit this out. And you put it in your mouth and you go, oh, your automatic response is, I want to spit this out. And so that is what you should do. Uh, you should absolutely spit it out uh, because there's something in there that's harmful to you.
0: Huh. So Brussels sprouts, uh, stuff like that. Uh, you know, It's just trying yeah. to tell you, you're saying, just trying to tell you, don't eat this because you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, there was it was actually a funny Simpsons uh, episode they did that where homer choked on a piece of broccoli and he died mm-hmm. and uh dr <laughs> hibbert was there he's like oh yeah no th- this is common oh another broccoli related death I'm like really I, we thought broccoli was good for you it's like oh no no it's, it's you know it's one of the most deadly vegetable you know and they, they even try to warn you by ha- by their horrible flavor you know and i'm like that's it it's just completely right i mean obviously they're joking they're making a joke out of it but it's exactly right they are warning you that this is something that you shouldn't ingest, you know, deer don't go around eating the horrible tasting leaves You know, they don't have fitness coaches telling them that, you know, just like <laughs> ignore your one. instincts Well, that tastes horrible, but it's not gonna look great on your ass. So you know, just do it. Anyway, <laughs> they eat what tastes good and uh, And they certainly don't eat what tastes bad and that's an important distinction They might eat it if they're stuck and they're starving uh, but they get very sick from that and they can actually die from doing that when they get stuck I, into in, into a situation like that where they're, they're forced to eat plants that they don't normally eat.
0: I have a, a golden doodle where she, she's lying over there, furry, four-legged furry friend. And when we go out in the morning and walk around and get out in the sun and she just um, snoops around and smells and, you know, she'll just go for... Ten minutes finding just what she wants to eat. It's just I just love to watch. She knows I don't know what it is. It's says some kind of some kind of thing in, in the earth here, but she eats it. You know, she eats it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny those. Uh, I mean, there's this weird vegan push now for people, but they're they're now saying that that all animals should be vegan. All animals should just eat plants and just. I mean, it's like we're in the Garden of Eden or something like that. We are not, and. So they're now they're saying, oh, you should you should give your dogs and your cats a vegan diet as well, which is just is just ludicrous. Really? I mean these they mm. have yeah, they have extreme intolerances to the defense chemicals in plants. Most plants will kill a cat. and so but at the same time they can they can survive on about sixty percent of their calories coming from carbohydrates. So does that does that make them omnivores? No, of course it doesn't. They are obligate carnivores. And so People are actually giving them more and more plant-based foods, and in fact, uh, the levels of human diseases are going up. You can you can ask your uh, veterinary guests that you had on, mm-hmm. um, but I've I've spoken to a number of vets, and uh, and they're saying that the prevalence of so-called human diseases are going up. These non-communicable, uh, chronic diseases like diabetes, autoimmune diseases, arthritis, liver disease, kidney failure, things like that that these are all going up. In the pet population, and I think that's a direct result of feeding them the wrong thing. Which you know, sure. as you alluded to, I think that's that's sure. a problem with us too. We're eating the wrong things and, as well,
0: and, and um, even the best food. I mean, you can go to the best natural health food kind of we have one in Dripping Springs called Whole Pets, and you can't find any real meat based food. I mean, you can find some uh, in a can, maybe in tripe, but it's they they and they say. You know they advertise that it's a pure, you know, the best animal diet, but but then they have all kinds of stuff in there. I mean, barley, and I mean, God yeah. knows what's in there. I mean, this can't be good for dogs. Yeah. Man. This can't
1: be. Good. Well, yeah, well, I mean, that's it. You know, I mean, dogs dogs come from wolves, <laughs>
0: right.
1: and wolves eat meat. You know, they don't eat broccoli or grains or barley or anything like that. uh Not if they want to be as healthy as they can be. And <laughs> and there are a number of studies with this in 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 cats in particular there's actually one called uh, pottinger's cats i don't know if we spoke about this last time no we didn't
0: Uh, i'm familiar with it yeah
1: yeah so uh dr pottinger back in the 30s and 40s around there he he was doing some experiments on cats looking at tuberculosis they thought it was doing something to do with their people's adrenal glands if your adrenal glands weren't Uh, up to snuff, maybe you were more susceptible to tuberculosis. So he was doing experiments in cats and uh, surgically removing their adrenal glands and then exposing them to tuberculosis, or that was the plan anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had a lot of cats and they fed them uh, cooked meat. That's what they had. So they're like, okay, we'll give them meat, but they cooked it first. And every single cat that got this adrenalectomy, this surgery to remove their adrenals, they all died and they had different veterinary surgeons come in they're going look no nothing went wrong the surgery went perfectly fine um we don't know why they died but it was cat after cat after cat after cat and eventually they were getting so many cats because people were just sort of turning in their cats or turning in strays and things like that that they had so many cats they didn't they didn't really know what to do with and so they uh they rent they, they stopped being able to cook meat for all of them so they're cooking for some of them and the other ones are, they just give it to them raw because it was just sort of too difficult to cook for all of them and they found that the ones that were eating raw meat all survived surgery and all the ones who got cooked meat all uh didn't survive surgery so okay hold on a second there's something different in the nutrition here and they did successive generations on raw meat versus cooked meat and the raw meat ones were just healthy and robust generation after generation and the cooked meat kept getting worse and worse and worse had worse worse health health outcomes and worse developmental outcomes so they were smaller their faces weren't fully formed their their head their brains were smaller and their bone mineral density was lower and lower and lower with each successive generation really only got to th- three generations after that they were sterile they couldn't reproduce after that and they were very very sick Uh, had 3% bone mineralization, down from 14, and they were getting all these fractures. They said the bones were the consistency of foam rubber, Hmm. and so they're very, very sick. And then they put them back on raw meat, this third generation uh, cooked meat cat, put them on raw meat. Obviously, you can't develop a second time, so they're still the same small stature, smaller brains, you know, uh, misshapen face. Uh, but they got healthier, and they were able to reproduce. Their hormones worked better, their bodies worked better, and the next generation, they thought, okay, well, maybe this will get back to the normal, normal cat. No, it took four generations to breed it, breed back to wow. the original four gener- line. Wow. Wow. Four generations, yeah. So there's an epigenetic effect that has uh, generational, um, you know, knock-on effects, and 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 we're dealing with that as well. So you know, even if we start eating the best that we can. Uh, will benefit our, our, ourselves for the rest of our lives, and will certainly benefit our children. Um, but their children will be even better, and their children will likely be better than that. And maybe we'll breed back to what we used to be, which we were all on average six foot four. And uh, you know, the Plains Indians in America—they did a study looking at looking at them in the eighteen hundreds from uh, fossil records and and, uh, and other sorts of data. Uh, looking at the Plains Indians, they were just eating a bunch of buffalo. They were just eating meat. They were high-fat high, high fat carnivores. And they found that these were the tallest people on earth. Is that right? On average, they were the tallest people in the that's world. Yeah.
0: So do you think yeah. the raw meat thing plays over to humans, too? Lots of uh, carnivores out there, um, they said you should really do as much raw as you can. Do you, do you feel that's true? And, and do you eat? do you cook your meat as little as possible? How do you do it?
1: We've been cooking meat for a very long time and um there's there's data in the fossil record showing that we've been cooking meat possibly even in ovens for as long as 800,000 years. Whoa! So Whoa. yeah, so 500,000 years before Homo sapiens existed, uh humans were were cooking meat possibly in ovens and some people think that it's, it's actually longer than that, maybe 1.5 million years. Some people think as, as much as 2 million years, because when the, you know, we started getting ice ages and the ice sheets started coming down, uh, we didn't scurry away towards the equator. Our ancestors actually moved up into and attacked into the ice. And the thought is that that's going to be pretty hard to do if you haven't mastered fire. And so, you know, if you, if you have mastered fire, then you're going to be able to deal with, I say, the conditions of an ice age, uh, much better, but we have, very strong fossil records of cooked meat and bones in in uh, potentially ovens because it's such an even hmm. distribution of heat on these bones uh, that um, that go back at least 800,000 years. So I think that we are well adapted to whatever cooked meat has to offer us. And you know, people say, well, what about the smoke and the charring? Again, you know, we've been exposed to this for hundreds of thousands of years and we've Basically evolved on cooked meat. Now I don't know how how much they cooked that meat. I don't know if they cooked yeah. that all the way, right. or they just sort of you know, medium rare. By medium rare, um, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, like yeah, Fred Flintstone with his yep. Brontosaurus ribs or something like that. Yeah. Um, but. You know, they were cooking it. And so, you know, there are there are certain things like that. You do lose, you know, you do denature some of these proteins and some of these nutrients. You do lose them when you cook meat, but you also make others more bioavailable. So, you know, and also one thing it does is it is it kills parasites, you know? So if you have parasites in meat or if you're eating wild game, you know, there can be parasites in there. Um, so there's like trichinosis. That's very you, we don't get that in that. That's why if you're told to cook pork. Pork. Yeah. Yeah. Well done yeah. uh, because of trichinosis. But in America, there hasn't been a, a single case of trichinosis in the domestic pig population, I think, 25 years now. And so really where people get trichinosis is is from wild game. And that's why I say you should cook wild game all the way, especially from bears. People who eat bears, trich- they get they get more trichinosis. <laughs> I'm trying to cut down and on any um, bears. You
0: know, thinking they might try yeah, to eat yeah, me. Yeah, uh, cut
1: down on your bear.
0: We have, yeah. a, uh, <laughs> we have a regenerative farmer at a farmer's market here in Dripping Springs, Texas, really cool guy and uh, feeds his pigs amazing, just the best food ever, no grains, no GMO, none of that, you know. And I asked him nice. about, and I, I said, I really like to eat most of my meat, really rare, and just kind of sear it, is that okay with pork? He said, he said you could eat my, my pork totally raw, and you're not, there he nice. said, that's all the commercial stuff and what they do with it, don't worry about it, if you want to just eat it raw, you're good. Which was interesting, Yeah, he, he said that, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And so I think that, um I think i think it's fine either way I, I don't i don't see too much problem eating raw as long as as long as you have uh you know hygienic food handling yeah um it's very rare for meat from the store to be contaminated it goes through very very rigorous testing from the usda they have yeah. they have a guy sitting there 24 hours a day when they are are, are, are processing meat and every so it's eight hour blocks and for six hours they're processing meat and for two hours they have to just clean everything out deep clean everything pressure wash bleach everything yeah exactly and then and then the guy from usda goes through there takes a bunch of samples checks things and and if there's if they find any contamination do it again another two hour deep clean and and they keep doing that until they get until they get a good result and then they process again for another six hours and they also take samples from this packaged meat they send that off to the lab and if it grows anything they pull that whole batch back and that does happen you hear about it oh my god you know ground beef or something like that it is very rare it's very rare that that happens and it's also it's a safety net, so they catch that and they pull it back, and so usually people aren't exposed to that. Um, and if they're cooking it, should be fine anyway. But um, you'll hear about it. You'll hear about you know because it only takes a couple of days to culture these things, um, and so ninety-eight point five percent, I believe the number is, uh, percent of food poisoning cases in America come from produce.
0: Is that right? And yeah, fruit. I read it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's very difficult to uh, get you know if you have some E. coli or something like that on lettuce, it's very difficult to get that off. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're, you can wash the lettuce all day, you're never gonna get that off. All these little nooks and crannies and things like that. And so the ones that that people get, you know, the very famous like Jack in the Box in Seattle, uh, they had an E. coli outbreak that was in the '90s. That was a food handling error. You know, that I mean, that meat was well cooked. You Same know, it with was just the to chipotle thing too.
0: I think the Chipotle thing was yeah. a food handling thing as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's not gonna be the meat itself. It's gonna be what you did with the meat. <laughs> and so, you know. That's right. uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I don't I don't think there's a problem with, with people want to eat that. Yeah. I mean, I, I generally like sear my steaks and, and like leave it raw in the middle, and that tastes good to me. And that's what I like. Um so I think I think it's okay. I think we've been eating raw I be, I think we've been eating cooked meat for a very long time. People have also been eating raw meat as well. Um, and even dried meat that's, uh, you know, that hasn't been cooked. So I think that, I think we've been doing both. I think you're finding the way, um, I don't think that you're going to lose out on anything essential. Like I think you can right. live your whole life very happily yeah. on cooked meat. Um, you know, cats can't, you know, they can't get like taurine, you lose taurine, right. When you cook things, cats have to get taurine, you know, we, we make it, it's not essential for us, you know, having a bit extra, is that going to be good for us? Probably but we don't have to have it like a cat does.
0: Thank you. We're spending time with Dr. Anthony Chafee, who's in Australia, where it's a little after 11 o'clock down there, way down under. Please subscribe to our channel. You can do that. And then hit the notification bell, and then we'll let you know um, when we put up a new show, which is every day. Also, all the products, it's in our store, and the link in the description is right underneath the video there. Purchasing the products through our store helps to support this channel because that's how we, that's the only way we bring in revenue as an affiliate. We promote products that we really like, like the hydrogen machine and the sauna and uh, sulfur and some other cool things that we, we tell you about while we're here. If you'd like to be on the show with Dr. Anthony Chafee, ask him a question, Patrick at One Radio network.com Patrick at com Dr. Chafee, um, so you in surgery a lot, like you go, and sometimes hmm. the surgery may take four, five, six, seven, eight, ten hours. Sometimes on a brain.
1: Yeah. Well, wow. and yeah. you Some, can sometimes sometimes longer. And right? you yeah. can
0: sustain all that uh, just with the, nothing else, with meat uh, before and then water. That's it.
1: Yeah, generally, generally not even meat before. I generally don't eat what? breakfast before I go to the hospital. So you know, maybe I'll eat once a day um, if I'm working out. If I actually have the time to work out, I'll. I'll be a bit more hungry i'll usually eat twice a day but there are times where i'm on call and it's busy during the day and then it's very busy on call and then i'm working the next day as well so i'll work 36 hours straight and not get a chance to eat and maybe barely get a chance to sleep and i would not be able to do that if i wasn't if i wasn't eating the way i, I do because i don't have that necessity and that you know that that desire to eat multiple times a day I'm not running out of energy. I'm not working on carbs. So my insulin's not high. So I can actually make uh, energy via gluconeogenesis. My, my liver makes blood mm. sugar, liver glycogen, muscle glycogen, and ketones. And so I, my body's running on my fat stores. And so instead of blocking that, when you eat carbohydrates, you raise your insulin. That shuts that down. So when you eat carbohydrates, it shuts down your access to your fat stores. And you can only run on those carbohydrates that you have now eaten and consumed. So... You have to keep it. Then you want some you more carbs to three,
0: four, five hours later, right? It's the old idea. That's it. Taking the kids to McDonald's and two hours later, you know, they're hungry. <laughs> Whatever.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's so, and so I don't, I don't oh, man. fall victim to that. That's so fascinating.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've only been eating carnivore. Now, you're hardcore and we'll talk about why you do that. I don't mm-hmm. say hardcore, but I mean, you're real pure water, meat and salt. I mean, that's it for you. I mean, that's what, that's what you do. And I, I've never really done that. I do some raw eggs and some raw goat's milk and some other things. And I want to just try, but I can tell, I tell you after a year and going off and on and trying, I said, no. I said you know, I'd say to myself six months ago, oh, this carnivore thing, it's just a fad. It's just crazy. Come on, I'm just going to eat some pasta because it'll be fine. And so I do that for three or four days and eat some carbs and some potatoes. And I feel like a truck hit me. You know, it's just like, <clears what? throat> seriously. I mean, I can tell the difference like, Actually, now, one time, if I just do any kind, the other night I had said, oh, let's have a little pasta. I really want a little pasta. So I just did like two ounces. I mean, just a little bit. And um, in the morning, I didn't feel good. I could just tell I just, something Mm. was not right. Something was just, can it be that simple? A little bit of meat and water, and you're just good, and salt. I mean, come on.
1: (laughs) You know? (laughs) yeah well i mean it is that simple and if you look at the animal kingdom and and all animals in the wild and, and you know humans are animals uh maybe we're better animals than other ones or god's chosen for one reason or another but we are animals and biologically that's just what it comes down to and these physical laws apply to us as well and you look at all animals all animals have a very specific diet, they eat a very monotonous diet, they eat, you know, cows just eat grass and they love it and uh, they don't, they don't want to eat anything else. They want to eat that grass and, um, you know, lions eat gazelle or other animals, you know, so, so this is, this is, this is very specific in nature and you just, you just eat that thing. And if you eat what you are designed to eat, you will work as you are designed to work. And if you eat outside of that, you'll either A, not get all the nutrients that you need in the proportion And uh, that you need them or you may be taking on something that can actually cause direct harm because that's that's how plants defend themselves is by being harmful to the animals and insects that are trying to eat them this is this is botany 101 Uh, you know plants and animals are in an evolutionary arms race plants becoming more and more toxic so less and less animals can eat them so they can survive and thrive and then animals becoming more and more adapted to specific poisons in specific plants so they can eat that plant and survive and thrive. And that becomes their dedicated food source. And this is why 300,000 plants in the world and koalas eat one, pandas eat one, cows, horses, grazing animals eat grass, and that's it. And they eat different kinds of grasses. You can actually pasture a uh, sheep and cows on the same land because they eat different grasses. And then the Mm -hmm. leaves that a giraffe eats are different from the leaves that a gorilla eats. Those are different from the leaves that a deer eats and so on. And you mix these leaves around, they all get sick or die. And so if you eat plants that are outside of your nature. That plant is bad for you to varying degrees, some things are, are more benign than others. But if you think about it, the vast majority of plants and fruit on Earth will kill you. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that <laughs> Dr. Chapin said that there. don't
0: write me just email. Well, me. I'm yeah, just well, <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know,
1: but the, but the thing is, we know this intuitively, people people do understand this, if you think about it. So if you get lost in the woods, and you run out of food, Can you just eat any random plant? Like, no, people understand that that's not safe to do. And why is that? Well, because they have these defense chemicals, they have these poisons and they can be toxic to you. Well, spinach is a plant and it defends itself in the same way. And just because we don't die from eating a few leaves of spinach, that doesn't mean that other animals don't. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't have serious defense chemicals that can build up and cause harm And people say, well, that's garbage. How can you say that people eat vegetables all the time and they're fine? Well, people smoke and drink all the time too, and they're fine. And they do cocaine and and heroin, and and they're fine. They're fine. It it's it's the years and decades of built up damage that that causes the problem. So no, no, I mean a salad is not going to kill you that day. Well, it depends on the salad. You make it out of hemlock, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that'll kill you. Yeah. Um, but you know, Liam Hemsworth chris hemsworth's brother he actually put himself in the hospital with acute oxalate poisoning by drinking three weeks of uh spinach smoothies in the morning no kidding and there's so many yeah three weeks and there's so many oxalates in there that can cause serious damage. now he'd been plant-based for a while so this had had taken some time to build up but Mm -hmm. then he just really Mm -hmm. you know you know shot the moon by by doing these uh this three week cleanse i don't know how you cleanse yourself by by you know mainlining poison into your body but uh, he thought it was a cleanse he cleansed himself from proper nutrition is what he cleansed himself from and good health and he ended up in the hospital he was very sick and he had massive kidney stones that he had to get surgically removed 75 percent of kidney stones are calcium oxalate stones and that's because oxalates strip out nutrients from your body and the minerals like calcium magnesium zinc and uh, and that can deposit in your kidneys is calcium oxalate stones and and that's and that's another reason that you know you don't really want oxalates because they can actually make you nutrient deficient Um, there was a study back in the 50s there actually a lot of calcium in in spinach but it's not really bioavailable and there's so many oxalates that it actually the people that were put on spinach a spinach diet to raise their calcium actually lowered their calcium wow. so that wasn't really a great way of doing it and so th- this is much more complex than just like oh look this has iron this has calcium must be fine well first of all you're not necessarily able to, to access it because that's another defense that plants have is is to sequester their nutrients and bind them in ways that we don't have the enzyme to break down and open up and access those nutrients and so this is called bioavail- uh, bioavailability. and bioavailability a lot of the proteins and nutrients that are in plants are not bioavailable to us or at least not to a great extent and some not at all you know it's it's um there it was a a plague of uh, something called pellagra that flourished uh for for decades i mean maybe over 100 years uh in europe and america and uh, and people were dying their skin was sloughing off it was, they were horribly sick generally happened to to uh, poorer people they thought it was some sort of infectious disease and they got someone to look into it and the guy said you know I don't think this is an infection I don't think this is a disease I think I don't know what it is but I think it has something to do with corn people that are eating more corn are getting this and he ended up figuring out this was actually a niacin deficiency and people that were eating corn corn was very cheap and so they were eating eating a lot of this and uh, and they were getting a deficiency in niacin and uh because there wasn't any bioavailable niacin that was in corn and so they were dying and then you replace this and uh you know and they were fine the the irony of that is that corn actually has a ton of niacin in it Hmm. it's just not accessible to us we cannot access
0: it and so in
1: yeah and so in mesoamerica where where we got corn from uh, or from where the europeans got corn from they actually put this through a process, this chemical process of nish tomalization, and put it and soak it in live right, for 24 in live, hours.
0: Nish yeah, tomalization, yeah, we've heard, we've read about yeah. that, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. So, this is where the word tamale comes from, from nish tomalization, right? So, ah. you're and, and that frees that up and that breaks those bonds, uh, with the niacin, frees it up so that we can access it and sort of you know dilutes or or breaks down some of the toxins, so it's less toxic and it's more nutritious Interesting. and Interesting. The, Interesting. the simple fact that you have to put something through a chemical process means that we're not designed to do it because if we were designed to do it we would be able to do it ourselves and so that just plays into that whole idea it's fascinating of that they
0: figure that out as a culture dr ray pete used to talk yeah. about that who he lived and worked in mexico yeah. and he talked about the nice. nixtamalization and you can actually go online and buy nixtamalized corn you know what if you mm. want and make your own little yeah. tamales and and chips and things like that. You know, Dr. And I want to tell you listeners that I can tell you without any, I really experiment, I'm very careful, I can feel my body. And if I just eat three, four ounces of meat with a little bit of butter, I that's the best I feel anytime, no matter what I eat. Isn't that amazing? Just a little, that's all I need too. I mean, I'm just talking maybe four ounces of meat and I'm done if I do that twice a day, how can I live on that much? And I, I'm, not, I'm not gaining weight. I'm gaining some muscle, but I'm not losing any weight. How is that possible? Eight ounces of meat and a little fat for a guy like me, 130 yeah. pounds? I mean, how was well, that about? Yeah. Where is it all coming from?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when, when you're eating high density nutrition, then you don't need to eat as much or as often. And so depending on, on your activity level and your size and your metabolism, yeah, you don't necessarily need to, uh, you know, eat as much as that. Uh, it it is easy to under eat on a carnivore diet though, because your hunger signals are so much more subtle than when you're eating carbohydrates, when you eat carbohydrates, it, well, long story short, it just messes with your hunger hunger signals and it makes you think that you're, Yeah. And so your hunger signals are much more active. Your body thinks you're starving to death when you're really not. And so it it sends these panic signals out and you have to eat, you have to eat, you have to eat and your blood sugar is dropping and all that sort of stuff. And so when you cut out the carbohydrates, when you just start eating meat and and you cut out the other things as well that can disrupt your hunger signals uh, you know, uh, as well, then your hunger signals are uh, are much more subtle. And so it, it it's easy for people to go, well, I just don't feel hungry and this is enough. And that, and that's fine. And if you're not losing weight and you're not sort of getting, getting too skinny or whatever, then perfect. Um, but one thing that, I, that I've noticed is that you can relearn your hunger signals. And a, and a good way of doing that is by going by taste. And you get a positive feedback when you're eating meat especially fatty meat, which is very, very healthy it's fat. It's an essential nutrient. It's not just a calorie source. Uh, you need it. You need enough of it. And, uh, if you're eating that and you, you know, it tastes good and then you keep eating it, it will stop tasting good at a certain point. And I think that that's your body signaling you, Hey, you know, we're done. And this is what animals do in the wild. They know how much to eat. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they don't have a, a, a coach telling them, uh, what their macros should be. They don't have a calculator to figure it out. They, they eat when it tastes good, and they just sort of naturally stop, and we don't know why. Well, now you do. It's that that positive taste uh, from you know something's good for you. Now the difference between something that's giving you positive feedback because they're good for you, and something that gives you positive feedback because it's a drug and it's addictive and it's not good for you, is that it will stop tasting good it will stop giving you that positive feedback when your body doesn't want it because your body's telling you hey yes we want that we want more of it and eventually it goes we don't need any more of that we're good whereas with sugar which is addictive like a drug like cocaine and these sorts of things the more you do the more you want to do and when you stop doing it you get cravings to do more so that's an addiction that's uh something pathological that you don't want but if it's something good for you then you just keep eating until it stops tasting good so i try to i try to make more meat than i think i'm going to want and i aim to have leftovers if i finished a, a steak and i just go man that was amazing i go make another steak you know maybe I'll only eat half of it or maybe a quarter of it but i want to satisfy my well, body's you might desire just even though
0: you food. feel full you might just go ahead and i could, i could even go ahead and eat eat a little more if, if i yeah feel like yeah. you know keeping yeah it. to to taste. Yeah, taste. so if it tastes good to taste you're enjoying is what it. The taste deal, yeah, yeah, the taste,
1: right. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're not eating carbs or sugar, then yes, I think you can, you can listen to those signals, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You should be able to listen to your signals. If you can't listen to your signals, if they're making you fat or sick, something's messing with your signals uh, that isn't right. And so you need to sort of figure out why that is. Mm.
0: We're with Dr. Anthony Chafee. He's in uh, uh, Australia. Thanks for uh, staying up late for us after working all day. Patrick Timpone, com, or email Patrick at com. They have a little Father's Day deal going on at uh, Sir Thrival. You can save 15% on some of the good things for dad like elk velvet antler, pine pollen, colostrum, and uh, use promo code ADAPT15 on One Radio network, and we'll play this little video for you. It's on pine pollen. It's a very very cool thing. for boys.
2: The first supplement I like to take in the morning right after I wake up is Pine Pollen Pure Potency or P4. This is Cirque Rival's flagship testosterone and androgen support formula. It's made with the pollen of pine trees which is rich in testosterone, androstenedione, DHEA, and a bunch of plant sterols. These are all substances, phytochemicals, that support the body's natural androgens or male hormones. Of course men and women are using this product but usually it's men in andropause men after age 40 whose testosterone production has started to decline many of survival supplements can be taken any time of day but pine pollen pure potency it's important that you take at very specific times of the day now it can be taken once twice or three times depending on how much you want to supplement yourself with the phytoandrogens found in it but the key is taking it at morning right upon waking midday or noon and then again right before bed so once twice or three times a day but always at those times and that's because that's when your body's naturally producing its own testosterone and all we want to do is amplify that sine wave we don't want to start to take testosterone at a time where our body's purged it from the bloodstream instead we want to take it at a time where those levels are already spiking and we're just subtly helping to increase them this product tastes fantastic I think of it like an orange creamsicle and that's because in addition to that subtle pine flavor there's a little bit of orange peel, Tahitian vanilla bean, cloves, and then a little bit of maple syrup just to give it this nice kind of sweet orange flavor. So it's really delicious and easy to take. So if you're looking to increase your testosterone or androgen levels and you want an alternative to pharmaceutical testosterone replacement therapies, there's nothing that does it better. than
0: uh, Pine pollen. And you can also check out the elk velvet antler. It is farm-raised elk and what they do is they take the velvet off of the antler and they don't do a tourniquet or give them drugs or anything. I think they make them watch the news and the elk just kind of start uh, snoring. But it's crazy when you think about elks and these huge antlers. These are actually appendages and are organs and they fall off every year and then they grow back, which is pretty interesting. And they use the velvet to make elk velvet a product. That's their thrive. Also the colostrum and then pine pollen. And this is all for boys thing, Father's Day, ADAPT15. 15. ADAPT15 15 is the promo code. Also, a lot of the girls going through um, uh, uh, perimenopause and the all pause thing, if they get a little extra uh, testosterone, if they need a little, they sometimes feel better taking a little bit of tea. You wouldn't want to get the, the testosterone, you know, they advertise on the radio, but uh, this uh, pine pollen has a good, portion, a good shot of testosterone in it we have been uh, using hydrogen technology for it's been four years now to be four years in August and you breathe the gas and drink the water from a machine that makes molecular hydrogen it turns out that Japan is probably the real leader in hydrogen technology they actually have some areas in Japan where they have hydrogen in ambulances rather than oxygen, hydrogen. It's been shown to help people recover much more quickly from uh, strokes and it's just hydrogen. It doesn't try to kill anything or it just is a food. It's a chi or a prana or a mojo, I like to call it, and it's molecular. There's an organization called molecularhydrogeninstitute.com and you can see Thousands of peer-reviewed studies on hydrogen. You can get your own machine. We think we sell the best one ever. Pure food-grade hydrogen. It requires no maintenance. Use promo code 1RADIO and you'll get your hydrogen machine. You can also finance it if you don't have the bucks. $100 off promo code 1RADIO. Very quiet. You breathe the water, drink the gas, or, you know, opposite way. Breathe the gas and drink the water and have a good experience. I think you'll like it. I've been doing it for a few years, well, almost four years now. and I'm still around so I guess it's doing good for me. I like it. I think you will too. Check it out on OneRadioNetwork.com Why didn't that work? Broadcasting live. Weekday morning, this is listener supported One Radio Network. Way down under in Australia Dr. Anthony Chafee, who's a a neurosurgeon works in neurosurgery. And I I just got to ask you, it's just fascinating to me how you all, you all, we say that in Texas, you all can just have to be in someone's brain for hours. What are you doing in there? I mean, what are you doing in somebody's brain? I'm really curious.
1: That people actually, I, I do always wonder uh, when, you, when you're talking to someone explaining the surgery to them, they're saying, "Okay, okay, yes, you can, you know, take out a big chunk of my skull and dig into my brain and pull out this chunk there that you you think doesn't need to be there." I, I still think it's wild that people people let us do that, but uh, you know, it is <laughs> it is necessary in some cases. Today we had uh, a couple of brain tumor cases. Uh, very large, wrapped around different uh, vessels. The the you know the issue with brain surgery. It's not like it's you know it's not like it's the most um, complex thing ever. It's just that there are extraordinarily com- uh, you know uh, important structures that you have to contend with, and so you have to be very very careful. You have to know exactly where you are, wow. and I mean you're talking about you know fractions of a millimeter uh, between a successful surgery and killing someone or permanently disabling them. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's very, very, very delicate work and it's very difficult to get in there. I mean, that's one of the biggest parts of neurosurgery is just getting access to the brain because uh, as you would expect, the skull is designed to keep things out and keep things away from the brain and all your cranial nerves and vessels and things like that. So it's, um, you know, it's not as straightforward as as other surgeries uh but it's very very interesting and it's it's very delicate yeah. sort of work and i really is, like that i like i like that sort is, of uh, there are a lot of thing.
0: tumors that you work with is that one of the main reasons you have to go in there in the tumors
1: unfortunately and yes and uh, and also of course traumas so if someone has an accident or uh you know gets in a in a fight or a car accident or something like that and they crack their head open and uh, are bleeding inside the skull. There isn't really much room to move uh, you know inside the skull and so mm. it starts compressing on the brain very very quickly. And your brain your brain's nerves and so you, you hit your funny bone, that's a nerve, that's your ulnar nerve and you get all this pain and radiation all down the, uh, the distribution of the ulnar nerve. Well, now you're doing that to your brain. You're going to have to a whole, you know, whole half of your brain and you're spush, you know, smushing it down and pushing it over to the other side. It's pushing it. You have that different compartments in, in the brain and and different little pieces of tissue that that sort of hold the brain in place. And now you're pushing those against those things and smushing them around the edges. And uh, that's not really good. And so if you think about how uncomfortable comfortable that is just for that one nerve. Now you're thinking about all the nerves that control everything that has to do with your, your functionality yeah. and your know, movement on one half of your body and your speech and memory and things like that. It's a big deal. And so you know, it's something that has to be addressed quite quickly sometimes.
0: A, a dear friend of mine, uh, my closest friend really, about three years ago, had just like this brain aneurysm and he was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, yeah. what causes those? Do we know? Have any idea?
1: Uh, we don't have a, a you know one hundred percent answer for that. There are different causes. I mean, some people have different genetic predispositions, uh, polycystic kidney uh, disease that predisposes you to having these aneurysms, and uh, you know high blood pressure chronically. High blood pressure. Had, you can. He had you know, high blood pressure
0: a lot. This fellow a lot.
1: Yeah, a you you time. can potentially yeah, you can potentially sort of grow these. I mean, anytime you're, anytime you're sort of, you know, widening an area just through because of the fluid dynamics, it, it increases the pressure and, and makes that tissue weaker. So the larger these things are, the faster they're going to grow and the bigger they're going to get and the weaker they're going to be and the more likely they are to, mm-hmm. to rupture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, but there are a lot of people that just have these little ones and they've get picked up incidentally and you get a scan and they're tiny and you're like, okay, well, we'll just watch it. We don't necessarily need to treat all of these. And, uh, and you know, if it starts growing and getting bigger then you're like, or, or, mm-hmm. you know, it grows too quickly. You think, okay, well maybe we'll, we'll do something then either going in surgery, clip it, or sometimes you go endovascularly through the vessels and then put little coils or stents in there wow. and, and block it that way. And that's being done more and more often now, but um yeah it's very strange you know somebody if they get too big then obviously that's a big risk of this thing this thing can blow but you know i've seen seen people with very small aneurysms rupture as well and uh, and they can be very serious with those, those, those So
0: with it's, all this yeah. um awareness of uh, uh dr chafee of uh, dementia alzheimer and all that if you had a patient which was big time alzheimer or dementia would that show up if you opened up if you looked at the brain, could you actually see that? Is there something going on physiologically in the brain that's causing this?
1: Well, no, nothing, that you, you can, nothing. well nothing that you can. Well, nothing you really see with your eyes like, apart from the atrophy, because when you have have different forms of dementia, and certainly Alzheimer's, it'll, it'll atrophy and will shrink down. And so, even on on CT or MRI, you'll see that it's just it's just more shrunken, and there's much more space and, and dark areas of of uh, csf cerebral spinal fluid hmm. filling up that space as opposed to you know a young healthy brain it just fills up every square inch of of your skull and then as we get older there's a bit of atrophy anyway and then people with alzheimer's there's a lot more and i think that's to do with the fact that we're degrading our brain we're do, you know lowering our cholesterol your brain's made out of cholesterol you know, fifty percent of your myelin sheath and the axons are myelinated. That's uh, cholesterol. Oh. You know, and so, you know, we're we're reducing that. We're putting people on drugs that actually reduce that. And some of these things, some of these statins can cross the blood brain barrier and impede your brain from making cholesterol, which makes up the building blocks of the brain itself. So, how is that a good idea? <laughs> um, but then you can find these neurofibril, uh, neural um, tangles and uh and and beta amyloid plaques and things like that and that was thought to be a cause of alzheimer's and um but that was that was actually overturned actually just last year these beta amyloid plaques um uh caused alzheimer's and they found they actually fudged their numbers and actually actually probably doesn't have anything to do with that it's just a a smoke not the fire it's something that happens in that disease process but it's not the cause of that disease process so there are a lot of different theories it's actually even being called type 3 diabetes now um, you know which is to do with insulin resistance type type 2 diabetes has to do with insulin resistance type 3 diabetes has to do with insulin resistance of the brain and so you're not getting enough energy, glucose into the brain, your brain's atrophying, it's slowing down, it's not working properly, and you can really improve this by just going on a ketogenic diet, carnivore diet or any other, just stop eating carbohydrates, your body starts accessing your fat stores, start running on fat, and you still make blood sugar, you still make glycogen, but you also make ketones, and your brain prefers ketones, and and we know this, it prefers ketones, because even when your blood sugar is high, no matter how, whatever amount of ketones you have, your brain will use those ketones.
0: Ketones, not the sugar. And the more, not the sugar.
1: It will use ketones. It will always use ketones. And hmm. it's just that you don't have a lot of ketones in your body if you're if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates as well because you, you suppress your body's ability to make ketones. And so when you start eating more, eating more and more fat or taking exogenous ketones or just not eating carbohydrates so your body can... Uh, actually run its energy system as it as it sees fit you'll start making more ketones and as your ketone level goes up your body your brain uses more and more of those ketones and uses less and less of the blood sugar so even if your blood sugar is high if your ketones are high it won't use any of it it'll just use the ketones there are certain areas of your brain that will still run on glucose the majority of it will will run on just on ketones and so that that shows preference there's Mm -hmm. glucose available but it's, it's choosing the ketones. So that's a preference. Your brain prefers to run on ketones. And so you have someone with Alzheimer's. They have insulin resistance. You get their ketones up. All of a sudden, the brain works again hmm. because it starts running on ketones. And you'll actually see a difference in people in a, in a couple of days, in a day or two, when their brain starts running on more and more ketones. It can actually show a drastic improvement. And there are uh, centers actually in America. There's a gentleman in, in Arizona who has been putting his terminal Alzheimer's patients are coming into a nursing home basically for end of life care because their family can't care for them anymore. And he's putting them on a high fat carnivore diet, which is a ketogenic diet.
2: Ketogenic.
1: And he's actually rehabbing these guys and getting right?
0: them
2: home. They're, ter-
0: yeah, they're turning them Yeah, it's amazing. Around. Just on uh, a carnivore diet with the, more fat than the traditional carnivore diet, you're saying. More, more ketogenic, yeah. Yeah, well, well a-
1: you know, I mean, carnivore diet, should be a pretty high fat diet, as as far as percentage of calories but it's it's high fat and it's high protein in comparison to a standard american diet which is low on both Mm -hmm. Uh, but as as far as percentage of of calories from fat uh you know going shooting for around 70 to 80 percent calories from fat but you know fat has a lot more calories per gram than protein does so it's about three times as much uh when you're when you're considering this for calories you, you don't get four calories per gram uh from when you're using protein as an energy source you, you get around 3.4 and so back it's about nine so it's you know just under three times uh as as uh calorie dense and so if you're eating sort of gram for gram you know one gram of protein for one gram of fat. That's about seventy percent calories from fat, and that tends to be where where a lot of people find that they feel the best. And the the trick is, you want enough protein, but you want enough fat. They're both essential nutrients. They're both essential the part of that meal and that and your diet. And they both have essential nutrients, vitamins, and minerals, fat soluble vitamins and minerals uh, in the fat as well that you have to have. You really need these things. And so it's not just about calories; it's about it's about nutrients. Your body wants nutrients, and so it's going to chase those uh, more than anything. And so that that's usually how it shakes out. Mm-hmm. Is, if, is around. 70, and if the meat you're getting
0: doesn't have as much fat as you would like, it's you, we can do it with butter and even tallow, beef tallow. Just yeah. eat beef tallow or um, absolutely whatever ghee. Yeah. Ghee is, is fun. It's a nice product.
1: Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Well, yeah, you can you can buy grass-fed beef tallow in, in America, you can yeah. get it on Amazon, it's pretty cheap, yeah. a whole bunch of it, um, or other sources, and grass-fed butter is great as well. Some people have a bit of problem with dairy, but most people tolerate butter pretty well, and you can go to your butcher, you can just go to your butcher. Most butchers trim the fat because that's the market, people want low fat, and so they trim off all this fat, and they use some of it in sausages and other sorts of things, they'll throw a lot of it away. And so you can ask them say hey do you have any you know fat fat trimmings that you're going to get rid of you know happy to take them, Cook them up. you know pay for them or whatever a lot of them will give give it to you for free because they throw it away or they have to pay to get it disposed of and so it's like okay well hey I'll just give it to you for free if you want to take it off my hands and uh, and sometimes they might charge you for it but if they do it's worth it
0: oh, Really yeah.
1: good for you and <laughs> and it helps you get your your nutrition up
0: Here's an email from Jim he is in Omaha Omaha for Dr. Anthony Chafee. Thanks for having him on. I've been following his work. I don't hear him talk a lot about organ meats as many of the other carnivore gurus do. What does he think about liver, kidneys, and things like that?
1: Oh, I, I think they're fine. I, and they're very nutrient dense, but that therein lies the problem because you can get too much of a good thing. If it's, if it's a lot more dense than something that has things in the right proportion, then obviously it's out of proportion. If you are coming from a standard American diet or you're coming from a plant-based diet that, or you're still eating a plant-based diet or a standard American diet, which is very deficient in nutrients, organs are your best friend. They're very nutrient dense. And so, you know, getting beef liver, chicken liver, or or these other organs are going to be very, very good for you. And they're going to catch you up and they're going to keep you more healthy. If you're only eating meat, though, you will get everything you need from meat. By and large most people will anyway some people's metabolism may be a little different maybe their uh, their body's needs in certain conditions are need a bit more of, of something uh, at certain times but the vast majority of people on long term just steaks and ground beef and eggs will get will get plenty well they'll, all, all of my patients that we test their Um, Because I have have a practice outside of neurosurgery and functional medicine and and preventative medicine, really. And we test people's blood markers and their vitamins and minerals. I've tested mine. They're all in optimal ranges um, that are actually slightly higher than, than what the normal reference ranges are, because the normal reference ranges are measuring the average for the community, but the average person in the community is sick and malnourished. And so those, those reference ranges are actually too low. And so if you're talking about optimal health, you want, you want slightly higher than that for certain things. Some things are are actually pretty accurate uh, for optimal health. But when I, when I measure my patients and I measure myself, you know, we're fine. Everything's actually in optimal ranges. I have only seen three now people on a carnivore diet long term doing you know just eating meat and water and fatty meat and eating enough that have been a bit low on folate Folate. that's the only one i've seen for some reason what is that about oh it's a b vitamin Uh and uh, you know some people uh, know it uh, about uh, you know pregnant women they want to get having a folate folate folic acid you know so you don't have kids with neural tube defects like spina bifida and so it's, you know, it's important you know you need to have it and so you know who knows you know maybe maybe these people don't need as much or maybe that's an actual deficiency for some reason their body's just not you know it's not it's not doing it for them uh there's a ton of folate in in pasture raised uh eggs and uh, and usually in meat as well if you're getting pasture raised meat that's you know grass finished generally will have more of this stuff in it but you know we're not we're not necessarily eating that so maybe you know store-bought meat maybe that's just not quite cutting it yeah or maybe you know cooking it maybe that that takes some of it out who knows but some people aren't getting quite enough but i mean literally vanishingly few I've, i've i've seen three so far and they're not symptomatic they feel fine but for those people i would say yeah have some liver you know, if you're deficient in something, have liver, uh, it's great. If you're eating a standard American diet or you're eating an omnivorous diet, liver's great, you know, because there are, a, you're going to be a bit deficient in in your nutrients um, at, just by eating a mixed diet. Maybe you're not getting enough nutrients from the meat, but you also need a different constellation of, of nutrients based on what you're eating because there are anti-nutrients, in plants and there are things that block your body's absorption of nutrients and there's protease inhibitors that block protease is an enzyme from your pancreas that breaks down protein uh that's in wheat soy other things as well oxalates tannins phytic acid these things bind to different minerals and vitamins and block them and block and, and your body can't break them down and access them you know i one uh person <laughs> Uh, tried to do a critique and they said like oh yeah you can't break this but you know there's gut bacteria and and they can break this down it's like okay well that's in the colon and you absorb things in your small intestine so that's not really helping you (laughs) because now you have this bioavailable uh, nutrient in your feces so you want to go eat your feces and do a second run of it like a gorilla does because they have to because to get more nutrients out of it you go right ahead i'm going to stick with the steak and so um you know if you're if you're eating that way uh, and you're going to need more nutrients, then, mm. yeah, eat liver. That'd be great for you. Carbohydrates, just in general, make it make your demand for uh, vitamins increase as well.
0: After all these years on Carnivore, Dr. Anthony Chafee, if you'd like to join us, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com.